Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Basil Baz. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Thursday, October 19th in the year 2023. Patriots, tonight we have an incredible guest, and I'm going to forewarn you, I've done a tremendous amount of work on this audio interview because it was literally in process. It was hacked. I mean, I'm going to tell you. As we were doing it, it was like a live stream hit. Every time Basel would say certain things, there would be keywords that would get flagged and almost dropped out. So the audio has been reworked. I think it's going to be a solid, it's going to be, a, it's a fantastic interview. Some of you may need to put on headphones. I'm just pre-warning you, but it is incredible material and he's a great man. Now, who is Basel Bas? Basil Baz leads recoveryofchildren.com, and he's a former CIA covert operator, clandestine operator, that gave up his career to start child recovery. And the thing is, unlike other groups, he works exclusively, his organization works exclusively here in the United States. And this is huge. Not only do they work exclusively here in the United States, but not one of them takes a salary. Any money that they raise goes purely to operations to literally recovering the children and getting them back in the hands of their families. So this is a big deal. He's an incredible man, and I'm anxious, and he's also a Christian. So he really follows those beliefs, and he fights hard for the children, and it's really an amazing interview. Again, his organization is recoveryofchildren.com. So really worth looking at and taking a look at what they have to offer It's a, and supporting them any way you can. Patriots, before we begin tonight... One thing that's very obvious is we are dealing with lunatics that are running this world. That is not even a question. It is a fact. And the problem with lunatics is they'll do anything, and I mean literally anything, to try to control the people, control the food, control the population. And that's really where they're headed in a lot of levels right now. And we are looking at an incredible level of threats. Look at what's in the headlines. International threats, corruption here at home. Everything is moving out here in different directions, and it's all coming to a head. And we know at this point in time that it's very possible that there's going to be something big. The question is, when will it end? And unfortunately, it probably won't end until we have a major disruption or major disaster. So you need to be prepared. To be prepared, you need to make sure you have a solid plan for emergency food. My Patriot Supply is the largest preparedness company in the food preparedness company in the country. And they're able to drop their price on their three-month emergency food kit because they've been buying their stuff in bulk and then they're passing the savings directly on to us. So these kits, um, three-month kits, have a whole variety of great-tasting breakfast, lunches, dinners, and you can now save $200 off per kit. And it's important to get one for every member of your family. These things will give you 2,000 calories a day. They keep you prepared. All you have to do is just add water and to, to heat, and heat. That's it. So the whole deal here is we have to be prepared as we go forward. And you go there by going to preparewithbards.com. 
preparewithbards.com, and you'll be able to save $200 in these kits. This is about significant preparation for the times ahead. We don't know what's coming, but even in tonight's interview, you're going to hear about the threat of the cartels. And it's no joke. So, again, preparewithbards.com, and if you order by 3 p.m. on any day, you're going to get same-day shipping, and it's free. So, again, preparewithbards.com. So, patriots. Lots going on. The world is upside down. Things are falling apart. And when we have to understand what's at the root of everything they're doing, obviously we've got COVID con. Obviously we have the, the financial system that they're bankrupting and try to keep everybody enslaved in the slave debt economy. All of these things are happening. But here's the, here's the deal. There's always a root of something. And the farther we go on this, we all know, or at least should know at this point in time, that the root of the criminal cabal of the global criminal cabal is child sex trafficking. There's no discussion. So this is where they this is their highest level of commodity. It's where they perform their sexual and ritual sacrifices. It's the trade in the billions of having children exploited and used for pornography, etc. Now I'm I'm just gonna say it. If you are dealing with a porn addiction, I want you to listen to this event, to this interview tonight, because you can't hide from this. If you're dealing with a porn addiction, you are part of this problem in a huge way. And you need to stop. And I've said before, I'll help you where we can. And But that is also you having to come before the throne and truly put yourself before God and start breaking this addiction. Porn drives much of this industry. And the United States is the number one porn consumption industry market in the world. And we're also the highest level of child sex trafficking in the world. Those two numbers go together. And they tell you how bad the situation is. It's horrific. And we have to put an end to it. And it begins with simple actions that people can take, like stop looking at porn. That would be a good one right there. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you honestly, I really get frustrated. I'm going to pray with you. I bless you and, and will help you break these, these, these bonds. But let me be clear about something. If you're addicted to porn, just say no. Get on your knees, repent, and stop. Because I'm really not kidding. You are part of a the most heinous crime ever known to man because your consumption, it doesn't matter what age you're looking at, is driving this industry because ultimately anybody that starts in porn and in any level ends up in child porn. It's proven, it's the way it works, and it has to do with your brain chemistry and your addiction. So we got to break it. That's number one. The other thing is child sex trafficking is, is an unbelievably networked and organized system. What we're dealing with in this is beyond measure. As you will hear tonight, they even have set up kill teams for any child that dares to speak out against this. They send out hit teams to kill the children. And as Basel says, you see the kids you find on the side of the road that are dead have tried to speak out against this organization and they have been murdered. We are only where we are going to solve this problem is for us to start cleaning up our lives and as communities to start mobilizing and putting our foot down. And ultimately, we will get back to this in future shows, but that's the whole arc. Then we start to look at where does Operation Vineyard come in? It comes into a county-by-county county operation to start elevating the knowledge, identifying the networks, and interdicting and providing safe haven for kids. That's what it is. So it's going to take everybody in this effort. Nobody's off the plate. Everybody's in the war. And we have to put our priority on saving these kids. This is unbelievable how horrific this is. Uh, Patriots, one last thing before we get going here, and this is literally the issues of our financial system, which we know very well. 
our financial system is under siege and they're wanting to do everything they can to literally upend us and put us into a digital currency. Last month, G20 announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. That would include us, by the way. The, the central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make, which you know. They can even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products and easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. And, so we caveat this, these same criminals are going to open up the gateway to create more money in the child sex trafficking industry because it's worth billions. And that's how they do it. On the, and they will prevent you from buying one thing and drive other industries to allow them to do it, and you will have no control. In essence... They enable governments to take more control over your finances and your lives and your your morality and cultural integrity. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. They've been with us a year. They're a great group. Amen. If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you need to call Birch Gold. But you don't call them first. What you do is you text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. That's, again, BARDS to 989898. And they're going to send you a free info packet. That way you get informed, and then from there you can call them. If you have an existing IRA or 401k, it's a quick, easy transfer at zero cost to you. And they have more to offer than that. So, again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and claim your free kit. It's there. And the best thing to know is once you do that, you're going to have a retirement account that is anchored in precious metals and gold. And that is a great thing to know when they're trying to take your money all the way and turn it into digital nonsense. Important. All right, Patriots, this is a good interview with Basel. Pay attention. Great information here. Great person. And this is really the tip of the spear, the type of operations that everybody needs to be involved in, in not only just making aware of the child sex trafficking issue, but being that point of the spear to rescue them and interdict and bring children back home. So important. Here we go. Patriots, today I am really honored and excited to have, I don't even know how to describe this man, except a man that has the heart of God because he goes after and protects the little ones in such a courageous way. He has an amazing background. Like all things that seem to happen, God weaves our paths and puts us together in an appropriate time. And I'm just deeply honored to introduce you today to Basel Baz. Baz, how are you doing? Good, Scott. It's good to be here with you. Thank you so much. Can you tell us, just to give us a little background on you and what your mission is? Um, I'm a federal graduate, former captain in the United States Marine Corps. Um, I was one of the uh, Marine Corps' first counterterrorism officers after we hit in Beirut way back in the day. And uh, then was uh, recruited out of the Marine Corps by the CIA in around 1985 and uh, served in the agency with Brown Ranch and uh, Special Operations up until about 96. And then in 1996, I jumped ship to continue pushing forward on my nonprofit, which is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization of former intelligence, military and law enforcement officers that are dedicated to the recovery of missing, exploited, and sex trafficked American children. That's fantastic. How long have you been doing that, Buzz? Ramp up 1993. Um, we uh, formally started putting boots on the ground in 1996. Uh, so we've got about 30 years under our belt. I think we're probably the oldest running child risk organization in the United States now. Outside of people like the Salvation Army, we're grateful that they have been able to do this. This is unique because we don't, I'm not saying you're not known, but in a broader spectrum of what we look at in well publicized 
trafficking groups or counter-trafficking groups, your name doesn't pop to the top. And yet the work that you're doing, as you and I have talked, is really kind of the meat of what needs to be done at the point of the spear. Would you agree? Yeah, it doesn't pop for reason. Try to operate under the radar. Uh, something I learned coming out of the agency, out of the clandestine service, was uh, you're not running a popularity contest. I understand why a lot of people do. And they have donors, they have to raise funding. Um, everybody wants to be a part of the wow factor, so to speak. I know what you're doing. Um, and for others, organizations, that's the, the depth in which we operate, whether that's against cartel or gangs or whatever, does not afford us the luxury of giving away our tradecraft um, and how we operate. And so oftentimes, in order to become popular um, or well-known to the world, so to speak, people get great marketing teams and they express themselves openly. Um, we're known, I believe, to all the right people. You know, I don't know how many organizations are taking meetings with state attorney generals or um, White House officials or uh, other people, the other NGOs that are actually doing this. In fact, um, out of all the popular organizations and NGOs that have popped up over the last 20 years, maybe, we will only operate with about five of those, those because they're time tested. They're in the trenches with us, and um, and anybody who is uh, true to this mission, so to speak, understands how challenging it can be, without making it more challenging by putting yourself as a. So there are those that I learned a long time ago. You know, I came out of the old guard, of the old Cold Warriors in the CIA, where you may disclose that you were with the agency, but you certainly don't disclose operations, and so. If it comes to credibility uh, for our organization, we let other people speak for us. Um, we let parents speak for us. We let custodial guardians speak for us or other NGOs regarding our accomplishments to some degree. Uh, it's funny how you can go through, uh, years and years and have other people take credit for your operations uh, that weren't there. And we just kind of laugh at it. You know, it's just funny. But... You know, when we got into this, Scott, it was a calling by God, and uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't created as a business model. Uh, and sadly, because there is a lot of money to throw at this issue, there are multitudes, whether it's aftercare or whatever, they go after grant and make some pretty big claims on what they're doing and only turn up later to... You discovered not to be doing this so because there's no money the federal money that's given um but they have great writers and great teams and stuff and so um, we who are in the trenches uh really know who they are but we're not an oversight committee. we don't have time to call them caller cards we just press through with what god has told us to do and and, and go get a kid you know or go get kids or get involved in issues like illegal coming across the border or whatever it may be, but we try not, and I think we've done a pretty good job, we try not to get in the newspaper. It's not it's not what it's about. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had probably almost, and I, I say this facetiously, of course, almost every Hollywood producer and every television network that I can think of come to me and go, hey, we want to make a, want to make a movie about, about your life. We want to do this about work. And every single time it's been, 
no, no thanks. That's not what, not what we're here for. Because we understand how it gets manipulated, how, you know, the creative control takes place. And the next thing you know, they've turned you into a monkey, basically, rescuing pink elephants in Africa when it has nothing to do with what the mission actually is. So it's the way of the world. No, it's true. And I'm 100% agreement. I was smiling when you said that about letting others take uh, <laughs> credit. The guys that mentored me, and you and I have talked about that offline, I would always say that if a good successful mission is you and maybe a couple other guys sitting in a quiet room watching the world change and clinking glasses to say, job well done. So No, that's so, that's so true. Yeah, you're right. It's funny, my wife, when we got married a couple of years ago, actually knew nothing about my life. But when some of my spec ops buddies showed up, um, they kind of gave us a breakdown because I never really talked about it. Um, she was gracious enough to just accept enough time in the clandestine service and some things you ask and some things you don't. But it was fascinating and very actually pretty humorous to listen to some of the conversations. And they didn't they didn't disclose a lot, but they disclosed enough to, you know, let her know that they had been downrange with me and we had had some interesting times out there. So it's funny. No, it's, it's awesome. You do a lot of work in direct action form, and I'm not trying to disclose uh, TTPs in any way, but I'm curious about the heart of that because there's a lot of um, navigating of legal grounds in that. And I think that's uh, something what's unique about your organization is you work domestically. Most go foreign, which is a lot easier to cover tracks, and it's equally easier not to have to be accountable to money. So I'm just, your thoughts on that, however you want to respond. Yeah, we operate in the United States, number one, because uh, our backyard has always been full. I know um, the recent uh, movie, Sound of Freedom, that, that Tim and those guys did, it brought in a really great message, despite the nuts and bolts of criticism, what's going on right now. But um, it brought in the the idea that children were actually being trafficked. And we try to make sure people understand that that's a really big issue. For us, we, we take it maybe one step further in that that mission has been one that we've had since 93, because it has been as bad in the United States and everybody has thought it was happening over there. You know, it's a very sophisticated, business model here uh, when it comes to trafficking children. You know, last last year, I believe, there's always a statistic that comes out with the Bureau or somebody else. And I think it was like 400,000 children, American children missing in the United States. Um, we don't see 400,000 children walking the streets, but we know they're in pornography. We know they're in uh, the slave trade. We know they're being sex trafficked and, and satanic cults and for sacrifice. And the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so the question is, how are they being transported from state to state? Why can't we infiltrate that mechanism? Uh, is you know, um, it, it's maybe maybe it's not that different from the same logistical mechanism that transports illegal weapons or drugs or whatever. Um, but that's it's not being tackled. Uh, so we realized that we had a big a big issue in America. Uh, the second thing is, I understand U.S. law. Uh, it's not that we won't get an American kid overseas. We do, and we have, and and we currently are still working in that arena. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm not that familiar with laws overseas of non-U.S. citizens. So we kind of try to stay in our lane with that. Um, we have a good, good staff of attorneys. Um, one of the things that we focus on is what are our rights as U.S. citizens. 
And um, while it is true that um, it is true that law enforcement ha handles a lot of crimes committed against children, uh, it is also true that this is in our backyard and it is up to we, the people, the American people, to do something about it. So we learned a long time ago what our rights were as U.S. citizens, whether that was citizens' arrest rights uh, in each state, you know, what we could and could not do. And surprisingly enough, a lot of Americans in their communities don't get involved in this atrocity because they don't know that. They don't understand that, and they're not willing to go either partner up with their law enforcement community or if and when the law enforcement community isn't handling the issue, go out and do it themselves. Government works for us. Law enforcement works for the people. And um, I've seen some brilliant relationships between community and NGOs and our law enforcement partners. And I've seen some really bad ones where basically law enforcement says, stay out of the way. Don't do this. I don't care what your rights are. You know, as a as an American, we're the we're the we're the big dog in town, and we'll handle this if and when we want to. So we have that clear nation. We've had it historically, but as uh, with the open border situation, um, this child sex trafficking market is growing exponentially, and I would uh, very kindly encourage our law enforcement partners to build out good relationships with anti-trafficking NGOs because they're not going to be able to handle this on their own. Absolutely not. Um, the average law enforcement officer, may, they get an hour a day of training on what trafficking is. And this is from word of mouth from the conversation. Yeah. Uh, where some of these NGOs have been in the trenches for years and they, they know the lay of the land. They know the language it speaks. They, they know how the cartels operate, the gangs operate. So many of them like ourselves, actually have the opportunity to sit with some of these people. You kind of like dance with the devil, but don't poke him in the eye kind of thing. And we have to, which is not foreign to me because uh, coming out of the agency, anytime you're running agents um, or recruiting, you sometimes sat with some very unsavory characters just to get the intel you needed. So um, we're able to push envelopes that if, if that law enforcement can't sometimes uh, without being obligated for, to arrest somebody. And so uh, it's a world that I, as an, as a CIA officer, um, we were used to dealing with being in the quagmire and coming out, not smelling so good, but yet collecting the Intel you needed to go get the job done. And in this case, collecting the Intel you need to go save a child. So to speak. So that's why that's kind of uh, Scott. That's why we work in the United States. I, I will tell you one other thing, if I can, you know, it, just to give the, our audience an idea of how sophisticated it is in America. Um, when you travel to a third world nation, foreign country, whatever you want to call it, oftentimes if you're purchasing a child, you will you can pay a fixer a couple hundred bucks and say, go bring me ten children for a sex party or ten children for just or trafficking or whatever it may be. And they'll bring those children to you and they'll parade them in front of you so you can get a look. And then those children generally go away and then you finish the buying, the deal, you know, either buying or, or not buying or whatever. In America, the gangs have gotten so sophisticated and are so much smarter that what they'll do is they'll parade a child in front of you. They expect you to molest that child in front of them to make sure you're not an undercover.
and 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 they they're smart because as an undercover agent, if you're com if you do that, you're complicit. You can sit back all day in court and say we were just trying to save a bunch of kids, but you rape that child and you're going to go to jail. So they're smart. They understand how to kind of pull the veil off of uh, off of people. So this is a challenge that we've had in America for a while. We who are in the trenches. Uh, and in addition to that, dealing with corruption at all, all levels of local, state, and federal government. So kind of like you're surrounded by a lot of really bad people who want to do bad things to children, and they don't want you to uh, be able to interfere. I mean, so it's billions of dollars. May 2017, what was it? Uh, not $32 billion industry, and we're the largest buyer in the world. So, you know, for a God-fearing nation, uh, man, it's wonder God isn't burning us up right now for, for, our, for our atrocities. I agree. It's amazing. Can you walk us through a little bit about the sophistication of this network? And I, we could take, for example, whether it's a kidnapping on the street or a traffic across the border, these children just seem to disappear. I think that's the part that's stunning. And the only way that we can reconcile that is to have to admit, in my opinion, I think the evidence proves it, that we have a deeply corrupt government that's in, the, in allegiance with the trafficking system of gangs and organized crime. Yeah. Uh, the majority of the kids that are getting recruited now into the sex trade, uh, a lot of them are getting recruited online. So we have a we have a problem there, educating parents and, and, and being able to control that open window, so to speak. But in addition to that, we'll give you an example of what we anticipate to come outside of uh, runaway children that are picked up by predators or, you know, predators or, or predatory operations to actually target a child in a school or uh, yank them off the street or they're runaway or they're homeless or whatever. Uh, we were the first on the ground at Anuga, Tennessee, when the night flights were coming in that were bringing illegal immigrant children across the border at Wilson Airfield and putting them on buses and taking them to other locations. And we followed and actually just handed off to various people in the parking lot. No paper exchange, no reunification center, kids reluctantly wanting to go. You, you got the feeling at that time that uh, – they didn't even know who their sponsors were. Um, in addition to that, when we first got on the ground, we uh, contacted Tennessee Bureau of Investigation and said, we've got this, what we believe an illegal issue happening here at the airport, the trafficking of children. And the Tennessee, the representative, and I'll leave his name off, uh, off of this interview, uh, said, no, it's on the up and up. And yet it, it was on the up and up. But yet later when it was exposed, the governor of Tennessee said he knew nothing about it. So it's like, did he or didn't he? Is there corruption? Is there not? Um, so we reported that to ICE. We made a contact in ICE. We reported it uh, and sent our uh, after action report up and got a response that said the Biden administration uh, is handling all of this and has told us hands off. So at that stage of the game, we realized that bringing kids in at night and no one knew where they were going as well. And then recently, testimony by a whistleblower said, you know, uh, said that, uh, you know, 86,000 children were unaccounted for. So 86,000. So 
So we, I believe, based on my professional opinion, and I think now a lot of people are saying it, uh, this administration and members of this government, probably on both sides of the aisle, are complicit in a crime that's called known as child sex trafficking or child trafficking. And quite honestly, the question is, why aren't they being held accountable for that? Um, these are the lives of children, many who may not even be alive anymore, many who will be sold into trafficking. And um, not only is it blatantly wrong, it's illegal. So why aren't they being held accountable for it? I think they have a lot of people in place and DOJ and, and the Bureau and other places that have been told the same thing. This is the big plan. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it or want to do about it. So if we if we look at that just on the child child market, and I'll take a bold step here to say this because I can't I think uh, I can say this. And I think I have enough people positions that would back me. This president, this vice president, this government, this administration are committing treason. Not only on the child front, but on the national security front. We have absolutely no accountability of who's coming into this country right now, and it is a threat to our country on multiple levels, whether that's terrorism, whether that's uh, drug trafficking, whatever. And to, to save my life, I can't figure out why they are not being immediately yanked out of their positions in government and held for treason and incarcerated. Um, it, and, and, I, and I know many people that are saying the same thing. Many Americans follow, you know, follow in line with that same thing. And I don't, you know, if you and I were to do that, Scott, what they're doing, we'd be thrown in jail immediately. Absolutely. We have a problem here, but it all, it, someone's making money off of all of it. NGOs that are under the radar, Biden administration, are making tons of money, whether that's the, the Walmart, the, the, you know, the Walmarts in Texas that are housing, housing children, children being escorted all across the money. America with the with the wrong sponsors or not knowing who the sponsors are. Uh, all of this is criminal activity, criminal activity. And the people responsible for this are the same people that have left this border open, are the same people that are running the same stupid policies in America that's killing our government. And I do not believe it is because they are incompetent. I believe it's all by design to destroy our country. One of the things we know is that none of these immigrants, children or adults, will ever take constitutional law, will ever study American History 101, and they will have no sense of nationalism in our country. They will simply do what they have done in their own countries that they came from. They will allow the government to take care of them. And this government will make an excuse that we have all these people we have to take care of, which is a foothold in the door for socialism and bigger government. So, and, and sadly, Sadly, they are doing it, all of this, on the backs of innocent children outside the country and all of those children that are in our country. What about the ones that we haven't even found? Now we have more that we're going to have to go find. I don't even know if criminal is a big enough word for it to be. I don't even know if treason is a big enough word for it. I, I, it's, it's, it is literally, it is literally on the backs, as I said of innocent children uh, all around. And um, they make a lot of money off of it. I mean, it, who's who's to say, I? well, who's to say, I can say, because I've seen the reports. If you could see the number of people in our government that are in bed with the cartel, 
And when we talk about cartel, you know, most people in America, they hear that, think of something like they watch the movie like Sicario and they think that we're talking about, you know, Senola or whatever cartels in Mexico. The cartel is global. It has more money, has trillions of dollars. It has more money than most governments. And so whoever has the most money, you know, uh, usually gets what they want. And so we've I've seen papers. DOJ knows who it is. The FBI knows who it is. ICE knows who it is of, of literally government officials, the pictures taken next to cartel members and and their operations. And yet nothing's even being done about that right now. I don't know if you publish your statistics. I'd be interested if you do what your numbers are in, in child rescue. And what do you do with these children, Buzz? Normally what will happen is we'll get a case. We get about... We get, we get about five cases a week, I think. And um, what we do is we first, we check our budget. We're a nonprofit. Uh, we don't get salaries. So we raise the money to go run the operation. And it's always been that way because uh, we don't charge custodial guardians for these services. I don't, I don't think God called us to this to do that, to be honest. So if we realize we do our vetting, we do run our intel, if we believe the child is still alive, if we believe we have the budget to rescue a child and we and we've gone through all our law enforcement officers and connections and realize that uh, they have exhausted all of their means of taking on this investigation because we don't we don't get involved in an ongoing investigation by by any law enforcement agency. You know, we just back off and go do something else. But if uh, they have chosen not to be involved or they've exhausted all their resources, we get involved. We go find the child. Um, we, we always have an advocate with us, um, even though we've, we've got operators that are well-trained in, uh, trauma protocols and things like that. We take that kid, we first get that kid to a safe house. Um, that buys us time to get in touch with the right aftercare facility. Now, fortunately to an organization called the safe house project with Christy Wells, who's a strategic partner. Uh, we can put one phone call, phone call in and say, this is the kid we've got. This is the condition that they're in. Um, they're either going to be reunited with custodial guardian or we're taking them to a law enforcement uh, facility um, or whatever it may be. We generally try to get them to a, a hospital first, get them checked out medically, or we'll get them to a safe house and get a physician to come to the safe house. Uh, and from there, it gives us time to find out what aftercare facility they're going to go to, and then we'll safely transfer them to an aftercare facility uh and then after that we're off to the next operation so we we don't we're not involved in aftercare ourselves we stay in our lane ours is simply once all local state and federal law enforcement efforts have been exhausted we get involved um whether that's here in the united states or overseas or an american kid um we've upped that game a little bit um one thing the media is not covering which is very interesting uh, and then we've noticed a pattern over probably 12 years now. A lot of times a child will get um, rescued or brought into a police station or uh, some NGO, and they'll literally put the kid on a Greyhound bus or an Uber, get them to an aftercare facility, and they'll do this with a lot of traffic victims as well. And the kid never shows up. A couple of reasons the kid basically could run away again. Uh, but the children that are found dead on the side of the road or someplace, 
are the children generally that um, were willing to testify against their perpetrator and um, some witness disposal initiative takes place and they just don't make it. So we've uh, we started an STS, it's called Safe Secure Transport System, where it's literally an armored vehicle that will pick these kids up. If they are a high value target, meaning they're willing to testify against their perpetrator, um, what happens is uh, a high value target. There's so much trauma what happens uh, generally is that um, they can't even get up on the stand um, to testify. But those who will do that, their perpetrator doesn't want to go to jail. Um, so they'll hunt them down and kind of take care of business so that the kid can never testify. We, we know this existed, exists, it still does, with a lot of um, female adults that are being trafficked. Um, many of them have testified. We've known them personally. Uh, they were offered no witness protection, so to speak. And um, they've been killed by the gangs, uh, you know, like the last one was like two weeks after. So um, we've got to we've got to be able to provide some secure some care because um, putting the perpetrator behind bars is a good thing. Now, now, that's not what we do, but we can turn that target package over to a law enforcement entity that's willing to go after them. You get that evidence and a testimony. We can clean up the streets. So. Um, and and this type of this type of activity takes place in the streets, to the regular to the gangs, to elite or churches or, or whatever it may be. So you know, um, one of the things, one of the uh, one of the things that uh, is happening in America now is a lot. Of, there's a lot of push to legalize pedophilia, and that would make any testimony against a, a perpetrator kind of obsolete. Uh, the reason they want to do that is because if they can legalize it, then all of those people that are in high positions of, high, of power that would even consider legalizing this won't go to jail for poking their kids. Right now, they will if they're found out. This is why there was such uproar with things like Pizzagate and, and Epstein and all of that stuff, you know, because it was pulling the veil off of stuff. And and as funny as it sounds, you know, people are like, oh, that's all conspiracy, you know. There's a little bit of truth to everything, if not a lot of truth. One thing you've talked and I've talked about previously, and it was the um, idea of the high risk of taking. Once and you mentioned it already, but I want to go a little deeper in it. Once you take away the asset from the cartel, and these are very profitable. I don't mean to dehumanize a child, but from their perspective, it's an asset to profiteer off of, and then there's going to have a desire for them to take that asset back because it represents a property piece that they can that they can make more money off of. Is there a time frame? So let's say you bring a child into a secure zone and that child is giving a chance to heal and start to recover. And then there's a process, which is what obviously what we're working towards is that process of healing, recovering, and then getting them back into life with skills. Is there a time frame in which they cease to be of interest to the cartel? Or does that, does that sort of shadow hang on them for a life? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with uh, how much incriminating information they have and how how badly that information may affect their business. We do know that children as a commodity cartel, anytime you start interrupting anyone's business model, uh, they can seek revenge on you to prevent that from happening. So when it comes to children, we never know officially which child has what bit of information or intel 
that could be valuable to the U.S. government or to ourselves to literally shut down uh, their business model or or have someone arrested or pinpoint a, a certain perpetrator that's in a position of power. So we try to rescue them and maintain sure there's virtually no footprint contamination um, because we can't predict when the cartel may come back after them or a gang. Um, we did, we have seen the uptick in uh, gangs going to aftercare facilities and getting their 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 property back, so to speak. I hate to, I hate to refer to people as that, but that's mm-hmm. how they see it, is their right. property uh, and what gangs and cartel will do. And so most of their facilities are not that secure. Um, so one of the things we teach and uh, – the people that obviously take our take our six day course on equipping uh, high child traffic equipping course, and we and we share with a lot of our NGOs as what's the difference between a facility and a safe house? What's a real safe house look like? And on your aftercare facility, do you have security measures in place so that a gang, a cartel, whatever it may be, MS thirteen, cannot come there and kill off your staff and um, and take something back? And sometimes people listen to it, um, but you know how people are in America. You know, it's always after the storm and after the damage has been done that they all believe they should have built a root cellar to hide in. You know, they just don't think of it. So if we look at the trend here in America, I've been hired to do a lot of threat analysis, predictability studies. And over the course of 40 years, I've been been right on target to be and it, it's not a difficult thing to see you just have the analytics and have a little bit of wisdom and god inspiring you to to what evil's creeping up in your backyard but i think if we look at what's happened in mexico over the last 20 years and other south american countries other countries around the world the amount of crime that and the type of crime that exists there today is going to come here to america so for example is it uncommon for the cartel or a gang in Mexico to go kill a bunch of people and take 15 kids out of an orphanage? No, that's un- that's not uncommon. Um, can it happen here? Yeah, it can happen here. Have, has it been happening here? Sure. Um, and in just a more milder way where it's no oversight from the state, they'll get 15 kids, then those kids supposedly find homes, and then the orphanage closes and goes someplace else. The kids, the kids didn't find homes. They get sold off in the trafficking and the media doesn't cover that. We don't talk about it. The closest thing we talk, closest thing to that, that we discuss now is corruption and CPS. Then the discussion goes into well, what about these orphanages that used to be in this state or that state and they no longer exist. Where did they go? What was the oversight from the state? Where did the kids go? So I think to answer your question, it's very unpredictable when cartel or a gang uh, we'll take take over. I will tell you this: we do know this. We just had some discussions with a member of of a gang, Bloods, and they have talked about now combining with the Bloods, the Crips, the Gershons, MS13. They're all combining because they have a sturdier business model with that. I think a lot of law enforcement know that. Uh, there are people that have their head buried in the sand and say, "No, no, these gangs are right. You know, they they've been rivals and they're not getting together." That's not true. That's not true at all. We're we're able to get it from Chris's mouth, and I think uh, there are a lot more people that know it, but they won't say it because they're concerned that it will create fear in society. Um, what I tell people is, you know, don't teach your people 
be safe, teach them to be brave. You know, it's coming whether you want it or not. This open border situation is, is a as a free hall pass crime right now. You know, there's a tell footprint with the plaza bosses in Colorado and other places. Then you can shake his hand when when the cartel decides to unleash its wrath. There are very few places that are going to be able to stand up against it. I, I just had a converse, a brief conversation with a, a local police chief, great guy. Um, and we were talking about the rise in crime in his department. And I said, did your, does your department have RPGs? He laughed. He said, no. I said, cartel does. MF-13 does. I said, and if you think the FBI is big enough that they can handle it as well, you're sadly mistaken. Which takes us all the way back to the community. The communities, the local, the state level, the state AGs have got to prepare better for this type of activity. That all meshes or surrounds this child trafficking issue. You know, wherever that's happening, drugs are happening, crimes happening, and the enforcers are going to be shut in the strangest places. You know, um, and doing some pretty, pretty impressive, uh, creating, doing some pretty impressive crimes. Yeah, it's very true. It sounds to me in this model, which you're talking about, which you and I have discussed and share mutually, that the sheriff seems to be one of the key issues here because the sheriff has the ability to deputize and to and to establish county level deputies or even more posses, if you will. And yeah. that would be, I think the biggest issue here is awareness and understanding the, the magnitude of the threat because it is everywhere. And I think I think a lot of counties, at least at the people level, which is important, because the sheriff's ultimately accountable to the people, they just don't understand that it's everywhere. Yeah, we've got a lot of good sheriffs around the world. Uh, one you probably know of is uh, Grady Judd down in Polk County, mm-hmm. uh, Florida. Um, his chief of staff is a, a friend of ours, goes to my, uh, attended church with my parents. Um, Steve and Grady and those guys are doing a great job. I think they do understand it. The great interesting example that they set if I, if I can speak freely about this, is that they not only are aware, but instead of just managing crisis, what they do is they find solutions. And our whole government, the federal government, does nothing but manage things. It doesn't find solutions. Now, the Trump administration found solutions, and they implemented a lot of things to, to make things happen. But the current government doesn't, and a lot of uh, law enforcement entities around the United States are very reactive instead of proactive. So, and this is when you know people are managing stuff. When you're reactive to a crisis, all you're doing is trying to manage it. You're just trying to catch up from, you know, you're way behind the power curve. If you're if you're serious about solutions for crisis, then what you are is you generally see people who are proactive. And that's what we have to have. And there are, there are sheriffs around the United States. I would agree with you that uh, we've got to lean into them as well. Uh, we've got to lean into, again, as I mentioned, our attorney state generals that have a lot of power in their own state and get them on kind of a proactive mindset as well. Um, what happens is, I think, no matter what the organization is, uh, you're inundated by a lot of responsibilities. Uh, and when it comes to law enforcement, a lot of crimes daily, they're, they're, they're always playing catch up. You just get so much so you can't really blame them sometimes when they can't take another case, whether it's a, a child kidnapping or something else. They're, they're just inundated. Um, uh, 
And so, um, and a lot of people, if, if their watch is only four years or, or five years or three years, whatever their term is, so to speak, as long as they can get through it and get their retirement, especially in government, uh, that's what they do. You know, if you can get, if you work for federal government, you can get 20 years under your belt and just push it off and not really change the world, so to speak, for the good. Uh, that's this is the mentality of the federal government. We know it because we work for the federal government. So um, if we can get people to think differently, and and interestingly enough, they'll be happier because they'll uh, have a much more productive society, so to speak, in their state or wherever it may be. So this is one of the challenges we have now is shifting that mentality from uh, being reactive to proactive. It's huge. I'm, and I'm with you on this. This is what we've been working on here for about four years now and really trying to get the mindset of getting your hands dirty and taking the steps forward at a local level. And I think there's a lot of, um, and we've discussed and we'll definitely discuss more offline, but uh, there's a lot of synergy here. It's a lot, a lot of good things. You mentioned training. Can you get into a little bit about what you do in training? Do you do presentations locally for awareness and and taking your experience and coming in to help communities become aware providing them with some guidance and direction, or do you advise behind the scenes to facilitate trainers as in train the trainer? What's your model? Yeah, our model is uh, we have, uh, for us, we went from trying to figure out how we force multiply um, people to actually be boots on the ground. Uh, We realized that there's a lot of awareness out there, Uh, but every time there's something about awareness, people come back and go, yeah, but what do I do? Right. What do I do? How, how do I make change? So we took a look at um, creating a training uh, program uh, to actually get people not only with awareness, but how to actually run operations. How do you get on the ground as a civilian and coordinate an operation so you physically go out and get a child and bring them back to safety? And um, we went in everywhere from having a 15-day course to a one-day course to I mean, we were trying to figure out what the, the sweet spot was, and it ended up being six days. And honestly, it should be more than that. But six days allowed us uh, the convenience of having people come to the course and actually learn. And then from that, people actually went out and started doing the work. They actually started running operations and saving kids, like, you know, within a day after or weeks after or whatever it may be. So um, most of the courses around there, the training uh, is still about awareness. And, um, you know, I think people, honestly, people are aware. You remember, you remember when we were a little bit younger, there was always the, uh, the picture of the missing kid on the milk cart. Yes. And it's interesting. I I think somebody had a, I I mean, they had a good heart. They had the right idea, so to speak. But what happened was, we would put the picture of the milk of the missing kid on the milk carton. People would see the picture of the missing kid. Uh, they feel good that they saw the picture of the missing kid on the milk carton. Right. And they actually felt like they were doing something by looking at the picture of the missing kid on the milk carton every day that they pulled that carton of milk out of the refrigerator. But at the end of the week, you know what happened to that missing picture of the kid in the milk carton? It went in the trash. Did those people go out and actually look for that missing kid? No. So it's kind of like you drive by a street corner and you've got all these people out there with signs that say hop, hop for trafficking or hop to save a kid. 
what does honking do? It, it doesn't do anything. It does. So a child does not come home until there are boots on the ground that physically go out and get that kid and bring them home. That's the reality. So people that kept asking us, how can I make a difference? Uh, this is this is how they can make a difference. They can they can get trained up and everything. Um, and uh, we saw we've seen great results from that. We we wish we could do this every month. We can't. We're running operations simultaneously. So uh, we are only able to run about six courses. But the feedback over the number of years we've been doing it has been extraordinary. Um, and we've had everyone from federal agency personnel to local law enforcement to churches to, I mean, across the board, people that seriously want to go out and save a kid. And they're just saying, please show me how to do this. Please take me down this path, train me. And then, of course, we, we're always available to coach them through things, <laughs> excuse me, and help them either. NGO that's our desire that they finish the course and they actually start an NGO and kind of mimic at the community level because that's how we're going to make a difference. Um, if we can do this since 1993 and not take salaries, other people can do it too. I'm not saying you shouldn't get paid for your work. I'm just, for us, that has not been our business model or our model at all for operations. We've always had to do other things to pay our mortgage and stuff like that. But it's a matter if you're in it for the right reason. God will bring the money. I mean, he'll teach you how to get that. He'll bring the donations. Um, you, you may not end up being a wealthy person, but you're not taking it with you. So if you got some food on the table and you can pay your bills and you can go save kids, it's a pretty good day, to be honest with you. So Yeah, it's awesome, man. That's awesome. How can people support you, Buzz? Well, first God brought us in this, and um, look, I, I'm a guy who, if I ever thought about getting out of the CIA, and, and by the way, why would I give up the like the most amazing career in the world? You know, running around as a spy to go do something else. You know, I mean, as far as I was concerned, uh, I had, I mean, I was, I was living the dream. You know, it was great, great people, people that were better than me. Um, mentors that had done extraordinary things for the government, for the country, for the world. Um, it was just, I mean, I was happy as a pig in mud. And yet there was something bigger than overthrowing small government, And that was saving our children. And right now I have absolutely no regrets. It is, it is one of the most rewarding things. And it is because it's the right thing to do. There are a lot of my colleagues that are retiring and wanting to be opposed to they're also realizing the same thing. Wow. You know, I spent 30 years doing this thing and it doesn't mean anything to me. You know, what means something to me is how do we save the life of a child? So um, that's the first thing. Second thing, donations are always welcome. Uh, it's how we fund our operations. As I mentioned, no one gets a salary here. Um, so that is also in. And also, you know, if you're, if God is leading you to be in this fight, Come join us for one of our courses. If you go to recoveryofchildren.com, because you really need to be trained up and out there, uh, because this is a this is a battle we can't fight by ourselves. We need more people like us. We need to force multiply, um, and uh, so really that that's really just about it that I can think of. Unless you see a child that's being trafficked, you can call us on our tip line, 
and uh, have a conversation with us or text us and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just add that to our list of operations to um, get started on. So. You and I will need to talk more. I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot of things to discuss, um, but I really appreciate everything you've said today. We always close with a prayer, and if it's okay, I'll close with a prayer. Please do, yeah. Father, we just want to thank you for this meeting. and this, It's just an amazing man that sits here that leads truly a, a war for what is truly the heart of the kingdom, protecting and saving the little ones. Father, we ask for just a continued blessing and anointing over all that Boz and his team does, continue to protect them, inspire them, and to give them the hearts truly of warriors in the most difficult of times. Bless them with the resources that they need and help them continue to expand their footprint to enlighten and empower others to carry forth this mission, which is truly a mission, truly noble in the, in the eyes of our kingdom. Bless him, and we thank you, Lord, for all he says to say, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Scott. God bless you guys and your family, and I look forward to speaking to you anytime. If you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out to us. However, we can be of service, okay? Thank you, Buzz. Really look forward to it. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Patriots, that was Basil Boz, just an absolutely incredible uh, person in what he does. His website is recoveryofchildren.com, recoveryofchildren.com. He's um, he's the best. That's all I can say. I mean, we've heard a lot about different folks, and there's a lot of good efforts out there, but this is, when I talk about top tier, this is it. They raise money for operations, not for salaries. He's dedicated his life to it. They all work extra jobs just to keep their mortgages paid, and literally, they are blessed with one of the greatest jobs on earth, <clears throat> bringing children home. I would encourage you to check out their website, and that's um, it is recoveryofchildren.com. I would encourage you to support them with a donation. They also have their Fight Child Sex Trafficking Comprehensive Equipping course, and they certify you upon completion. It's a six-day course. I will be attending that next year, and um, that's a definite, not even an option. I will be attending it next year, and I'm going to be encouraging as many people as possible to attend it because this is going to be part of our Operation Vineyard, which will definitely be moving forward in 2024. So it is important to get these foundations underneath us. We have to do, as he said, to create a force multiplier. We have to get to a place where we understand how to organize teams, develop the intel networks, and create the recovery teams to get children out of danger. Additionally, we need to start understanding, and I want to just highlight this because many people have asked me, like, why aren't you moving faster on Operation Vineyard? Because of many of the things that he talked about in here. We have to build a good foundation. One of the things that is very real is that the cartels are not playing around. We're dealing with their most valued and prized asset, and we're going to get it back, and we're going to decimate the cartels in the process. There's going to be the loving part, and there's going to be the sword of the steel part, and there's going to be the sword of the spirit part. So just understand, when you deal with God's children, ultimately the way these people do, there is only one way, and it is a millstone. You do not harm God's children. Thank God for Basil Baz's team. We're really blessed to have him on, and um, there'll be more about him and with him in the near, in the coming days and future. Patriots, thank you very much tonight. I'll be back at uh, 9 p.m., Pacific, which has been Dine Eastern for Fishers of Men. Until then, or until the next time, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. 
but we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you in a bit at Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. 
We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.